0: So if I, if I open this sermon by telling you, okay, quickly, think of something contagious. Probably most of us, I bet I know what you're thinking. Most of us would think of a certain virus that's been so very disruptive to us, to our lives over the past two years, right? I mean, the way that that virus has spread from person to person, from country to country, in wave after wave, has served to illustrate Just how interconnected all of us are, right? How the actions of one person can have the potential to impact all of us. All right, well that's how contagiousness works. There are other things that are contagious, but in a less dramatic way, and even in a less physical way. Um, Yawns are contagious, right? Have you seen that happen in a room where one person yawns, and then all of a sudden it's like spreading through the room? I've seen it. Um... Laughter. Laughter is contagious, right? You have a good belly laugh in a room full of people, I guarantee you're not going to be the only one laughing, right? When you laugh, people laugh with you. Laughter is contagious. Well, here's another thing that's like that, that's contagious, that spreads through a room, that spreads through a community, humble, Christ-like service, having a servant heart, that's contagious. That spreads. When one person lives in a humble, Christ-like way, loving and serving others, living a life focused on others and not focused on him or herself. Others see that, they are attracted to it, and they begin to act that way as well. It spreads. It's contagious. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, is counting on that in our passage today. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you've read this section of Philippians, But in this passage, Paul is talking about sending two men to the Philippians. He says, Timothy's coming, and Epaphroditus is coming. And he says to the Philippian church, he says, these guys are humble servants. I'm sending them to you. And the reason that Paul is sending those two individuals to Philippi is because he knows that their humble presence... Their servant hearts is going to infect the Philippian church with the same attitude so that there's going to be an outbreak of humble service to one another in the Philippian church. That's, I think, what Paul is up to in this part of the letter. And I believe with all my heart that can happen here as well. And so I'm going to pray and then we can read it together. Holy Father, thank you that you've gathered us around the, 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 the food, the nourishment of your holy word. I pray that we would eat well today. I pray that we would read your word and think on it, understand it, believe it, and apply it. I pray specifically that you would uh, stir up a heart of humble Christ-like service in our midst. I know that there are a lot of people here who do have hearts like that, and it's beautiful, and I just pray that you would grow that and continue to spread that throughout our congregation. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, I'm in Philippians 2, and I'm starting in verse 19 and reading to the end of the chapter. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me, in the gospel, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it, go, how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. I think of all passages in Paul's letters, that one really feels like a letter. It feels like correspondence that he's writing to that church. And we read that, and we believe that it's the Word of God. And we know that the grass withers, and we know that the flowers fade. But we also know that the Word of God endures forever. When I read that passage, I know I said two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, but I actually see three examples of humble Christ-like service here. I see Timothy, I see Epaphroditus, but I also see Paul himself being an example of humble Christ-like service. And so my plan for this morning is just to briefly look at each of those three men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and see how their lives are examples of humble Christ-like service, and by God's grace, hopefully, we'll catch what they have. So first, Paul. The first thing to notice is the way that Paul honors others instead of calling attention to himself. Right? Do you notice that? Paul refers to Timothy as someone who has served with me in the Gospel. Notice, he doesn't say he has served me. He's served with me in the Gospel. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. This is planter of churches, author of scripture, Apostle Paul, all-important authority figure in the church. But instead of trying to elevate his authority, he emphasizes our equality at the foot of the cross. Right? That's humility. And he does the same thing with Epaphroditus. He calls him a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, an equal. Epaphroditus, if you picked up on that, Epaphroditus was the one who hand-delivered this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, right? Paul wrote it. He handed it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus took it and brought it to the church of Philippi. Now, no doubt, as soon as the church of Philippi received this letter from Paul, they gathered everybody together and they read it out, right? Isn't that what you would do? Can you imagine how Epaphroditus felt when they got to this part of the letter and it was read out, right? How, how would that have made him feel? Paul thinks of me, as a fellow worker, a co-worker, a partner, a peer? What? When when I read that, and when I think about how good that must have felt for Epaphroditus to hear that, I always think of this scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I know know we have some young Narnians here. I bet they're going to recognize this scene. There's a scene towards the end of that story where Aslan is giving instructions to all the animals, And he says, those who are good with their noses must come up front with us lions to smell out where the battle is. And then we're told that there is only one other lion. (laughs) And that lion is so happy to be lumped in with Aslan that he goes running around to all the other animals. And he says, did you hear what he said? Us lions. That means him and me. Us lions. That's what I like about Aslan. No standoffishness. Us lions. He was talking about him and me. That's how I imagine how Epaphroditus felt when he heard that Paul considered him a brother and a fellow worker, right? We're all equals at the foot of the cross. Paul is not throwing down his credentials here and elevating himself above others. He's doing the opposite. He's elevating others up to his level. He's saying, we're equal. We're co-workers for the gospel. The other thing that I see modeled here, humble service, a servant's heart modeled by Paul here, is how loosely he holds on to his treasure, and how willingly he sends it off to other people, right? It's it's as if his own needs don't even matter. It's like he doesn't even notice that he has needs. He's so eager to bless others. Let me explain what I mean. You have to remember, Paul's writing this letter from house arrest, right? One of the worst things about that situation is the isolation, right? He's not free to go and visit other people anytime he wants. And he obviously can't call them on the phone if ever he wants to hear their voice, right? He's stuck there. If you're going to have any human interaction with loved ones in that kind of context, they're going to need to come visit you. They're going to need to come and be with you. And those visits are so precious... To prisoners, right? When they can't go and visit, when you go and visit them, it's just so important. Ask someone who's served time. They'll tell you that those visits are a lifeline, right? Over the years, I've had a number of friends who have been in prison for various reasons, and I don't know, I was thinking about it this week, and I couldn't figure out. I don't know how many times I've done the whole go to the prison, sign in, lock up your valuables in a little locker, go through the metal detector, go sit in a room, wait for your inmate to be called, and then come to the visiting room. I've done that in three different states uh, in the States. And um, in some prisons, I've found that you're able to be in the same room, sit at the same table, give each other a hug, if you like, more minimum security prisons. But in other places, a couple of different prisons I've been in, where you have to sit in your own little room and then there's a glass wall and the person you're visiting is on the other side of that glass wall in their own little room. And the way that you talk to them is on a phone. You can look at them, but you have to talk on a phone. The most heartbreaking visit I ever had in prison, I was visiting someone who was a good friend of mine, Uh, who's my age, Uh, got in a lot of trouble for a lot of different things and ended up in, in prison, and so I went down to see him as soon as I found out. Uh, I came in, did the whole thing, sat and waited. He was brought in by two guards, sat down. He's wearing an orange prison suit. He thanked me for coming in. He told me what the past few days had been like for him. just quite a nightmare. He told me what he could expect coming forward. Our time flew by, uh, and, and before we knew it, we were cut off. The guards came and grabbed him. I had to hang up the phones. And he, uh, this is the part that broke my heart. He, he stood out. Now, this is... I, Jeff is a, the toughest guy I ever knew, right? He's just hard, a hard, hard man. And uh, he's a guy who never would have hugged me, he never would have touched me, except maybe to punch me. He, he, he walked over to the glass, and he just put his hand on the glass. And then he looked at me, and I walked over and put my hand on the glass, right? He, he just wanted nearness. He just wanted a touch, even a touch through glass. He wanted someone who cared about him to be near to him. He was in a place with thousands of people who did not care about him, and he just wanted someone who he knew cared about him to be near. Okay, keep that in your mind. That's how prisoners feel. Okay, now think about, Paul's a prisoner when he writes this. Now think about what Paul's doing here. He's in prison. It's house arrest, but it's still prison. And he's got two dearly beloved brothers in Christ with him there, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul treasures these two men, right? He is isolated in prison with a great need for personal companionship, and he writes to the Philippians, and he says, you know what? I'm sending these guys to you. You need them more than I do, So I'm not going to selfishly cling to them. I'm going to send my treasure to you so that you can be blessed. He says, I'm sending Epaphroditus right away. As soon as the ink is dried on this parchment, I'm sending it with him. And I'll send Timothy as as soon as I find out what's going to happen with me. That's amazing. We can easily read over that and not realize the cost, the sacrifice that he is making in order to send those two men to go to the church in Philippi. Look, if I'm writing Philippians, under those circumstances, I'm guessing that my letter would be asking for things to go the opposite way. I'd be like, well, Timothy and Epaphroditus are here, but couldn't, couldn't some of you also please come for a visit? I, it's kind of lonely here. That's, that's the opposite of what Paul does. He's never looking out for himself. He's always looking to share what he has so he can bless others. He says, I can't come be with you right now because I'm in prison. But what I can do is send these precious friends of mine so that they'll come and check in on you. That's, that's unbelievable. That's incredible. That's a model of, uh, of, of, of servant-hearted looking to bless others instead of focusing on self. As a church, are we like that? As a church, are we willing to send our strongest and most gifted members away from here to be missionaries or to plant churches you know, a lot of churches today are preoccupied with gathering people in, counting noses, how many people do we have? Paul seems to take the opposite approach with it, right? How many gifted and godly people can I train up and send out so that they can go and bless others? That, that is a sun- fundamentally service-minded, others-focused mentality. Paul didn't serve out of his surplus. Paul was willing to absorb real personal sacrifice in order to serve and bless others. All right, that's Paul. That's a model for us. That's something by God's grace to aspire to. Now, Timothy. Paul writes this. He says, I have no one like Timothy. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your own welfare. Right? I'm sure lots of people will be concerned for that church, but no one like Timothy. There's something about Timothy that he just, he's, he loves you. He's genuinely concerned for you. And then he contrasts Timothy with other people who seek their own interests instead of living for Christ. And what Paul is saying is that to be concerned for the interests of others is to be concerned for the interests of Christ. In other words, Jesus is interested in us being interested in others. You follow that? That echoes the words of Jesus himself, right? which we all know, where he says, as you did it unto the least of these, you did it to me. Right? Serving others is serving Jesus. A lot of people look out for their own interests first, but not Timothy. He doesn't do that. Timothy's not like that. He serves Jesus, and the way he serves Jesus is by being genuinely concerned for the interests of others. And Paul is holding up Timothy as an example for the Philippians, right? He's already, earlier in this chapter, exhorted the Philippians. Remember, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And now Paul's saying, here's exhibit A of what this looks like. Look at Timothy. This is what it looks like when someone lives like this, when someone has the mind of Christ like this. And I'll send him to you so you can experience that for yourself. So, so Timothy is going to go there. He's going to give the Philippians a report about Paul. Timothy is going to be with them for a while. He's going to gather information. Then he's going to come back to Paul and give a report about the Philippians. Um, I don't know what you're picturing about that journey, but this is not like a trip from Leduc to Millet. <laughs> this is a far journey. The journey from, from Rome to Philippi is about 800 miles. Normally, I do the math to convert to kilometers. I forgot to do that this morning, but you, you, you can figure it out. It's a lot of kilometers, too. So what he had to do was he had to go over land for 350 miles, followed by a 90-mile voyage across the sea, followed by a 360-mile trek across land to Philippi. Right? So 800 miles one way during a time when transportation is slow, it's difficult, and It's dangerous. Timothy had nothing personally to gain from that trip. He was going to take news about Paul, and then he's going to turn around and bring news from the Philippians to Paul. And the reason he's making that trip is because this man loves to serve others. He lives for it. He loves it. Paul says, I don't know one like him. He doesn't think about himself. He is genuinely compared, uh, concerned for your welfare. He goes on to say, you know his proven worth." In other, words, in, in other words, Timothy's heart to serve others, that's not just like one time he managed to do something sacrificial. He had a moment of serving. It, it means he does this as a way of life. It's what he's all about. I, I once heard this story. Maybe you've heard this one too. I, I think it's kind of well known. But it, uh, It's a young soldier coming home from World War II. I don't know what country, uh, but he's coming home from World War II and the boy's mom is so happy that he's returning and he's alive, Um, but she's not able to drive, Uh, she's not able to make the trip to the train station to pick him up, so she sends someone else who doesn't know her son. And the driver says, well, how am I going to know which one is your son? And she says this, look for someone who's helping someone else, that'll be him. And sure enough, the driver gets there, he sees a young man helping an old la- lady, he immediately knows, there's my man, and it was. Okay? Timothy was that kind of guy. Timothy was the kind of guy that you could, he, you could identify him like that. Look for the one who's serving others. Look for the one who is putting the interest of others before his own interests. That'll be Timothy. That's what Timothy was like. Maybe that's what you're like. We certainly have some Timothy-type servants in our church, and it's, and it's beautiful, if that's not what you're like, or m- more likely, it, you're like that sometimes, but you're not like that all the time, uh, then I just want to remind you, and I want to remind myself, that that could be you, it could be me. Jesus is willing to form himself in us. Jesus is willing to make us like him, and to empower us by the po- power of the Spirit to follow in his steps and to serve like he served. Uh, That's not just fancy talk. That's real. You and I can be like that. All right, so we looked at Paul. We looked at Timothy. One more more example of humble servanthood in this passage. Epaphroditus. Uh, Epaphroditus was the messenger, right? Uh, He sent uh, here's how it goes. He's with Paul right now, but this is, this is the way it goes. He was in Philippi. He was part of the church in Philippi. And then they sent him to Paul in order to care for Paul's needs. Uh, I'm not making that up. That's what Paul says in verse 25. And then and later on in verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul says, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Okay, so the church, in the, the Philippian church, they heard about Paul's imprisonment. They know that the Roman government does not bother to feed its prisoners. They will watch a prisoner starve before they feed him. That's a fact. And so the Philippian church, out of their love for Paul, put together a care package to keep him alive in prison. And now they got this collection of money and gifts that they want to give to Paul, and someone has to make that long, dangerous journey and take it there. And Epaphroditus was their guy. Uh, we don't know how that was determined. Maybe he just drew the short straw, but my guess is that's not how it went. My guess is he was begging to go. My guess is he was like, send me. I, 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 I don't care if it's dangerous. I, I don't care if I need to put my personal life on hold for months. In order to make this trip, I'll go, because I love to serve Jesus, and this is a way that I can do that. And my guess is that the Philippian church all agreed that he's the guy that should go, because he had such a servant's heart, and he was probably the obvious choice. So now he's there with Paul. At some point, he gets sick. In fact, sick to the point of death. And somehow or another, word of his sickness has gotten back to the Philippian church. So for all they knew, beloved Epaphroditus, who we sent to come and bring this stuff to Paul, is dead. But, God had mercy on him and made him well. And so now, Epaphroditus is concerned to get back to the Philippians and let them know that he's okay so that they won't worry about him. What a a profound little snapshot into that man's heart. Right? Always thinking of others. I don't, I, I, I know they're worrying about me. I know they're concerned that maybe I'm dead or I'm okay. I just want to go tell them. I want to put their minds at ease. Always thinking of others. And Paul says, So I'm sending him back to you so that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, so just take a good look at these three examples of humble service. The Apostle Paul does not cling to his status as an Apostle, but he lowers himself and elevates others, recognizing that we're all servants of the one true King. He doesn't cling to his treasure of relationships, these two men, but he gladly sends those men away, ignoring his own needs, so that he might bless and serve others. Timothy is a man who has proven his worth by consistently having genuine concern for others, living a life that is marked by this consistent, Christ-like, selfless love and service of others. It's what defines him. And Epaphroditus offers courageous, very personally inconvenient, sacrificial care to Paul on behalf of the Philippian church, almost losing his life in the process, and all the while being more concerned about his brothers and sisters back home than he is about his own life. What I'm proposing this morning is that when people begin to live like this, it spreads. It's contagious. It causes an outbreak of Gospel humility, and Gospel kindness, and Gospel selflessness. Paul knows that, and that's why he's sending these two guys to Philippi, so that they'll be infected by that. And what I'm saying this morning is that that can happen here. We have the same savior that they did back then. We're filled with the same spirit that they were filled with back then. And it's the same God who is eager to form his mind in us. You know, I've said this before, but in sports, you know, the, the very best players in sports are the ones, they're not the ones that score all the goals, they're not the ones that hit all the home runs. The best players are the ones that play in such a way that causes all their teammates to play better. Right? They're so good, they elevate the game of everyone around them. Well, it works like that with serving. We don't just want a few people here who are really great at serving, who are like all-stars at serving, and they can just do all the work. What we want is people who are so good at serving that their serving is contagious. That their selflessness elevates us all and helps us all to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto others. And the more that happens, the more it feeds on itself and and the more it grows and then sacrificial selfishness is happening all over the place and we have a gospel epidemic on our hands. And I keep using the word sacrificial to describe our service, because there is a difference between serving out of our excess, between serving out of the margins of our life, and between serving from the center of our life, from the core of who we are. So if in your serving, if you find yourself always conveniently serving in ways that you want to serve, maybe you should pause and ask yourself, where are the areas where no one is serving? What are the jobs that no one wants to do? Because maybe God's calling me to, to be a Timothy and to do that. So instead of asking, what do I want to do? Or instead of asking, what am I good at? I think what we should be asking is, what needs to be done? And then go do it. This is why I'm always a little skeptical with churches that get fixated on having everyone figure out what their spiritual gifts are. Right? Instead Instead of that, instead of everyone focus on yourself and figure out what your spiritual gift is and then do that, I think it would be better to look around and see what needs to be done and then do that and trust that God will give us the gifting and the strength that we need in order to get it done. That's what humble Christ-like service is all about. That's what we see modeled in this passage by these three men. So in closing, by way of practical application, let me just mention a few needs here. Let's be as practical as possible. We currently need more people to serve up front on worship teams. Before you dismiss that opportunity by telling yourself, well, that's not my thing, maybe just pause and ask the Lord if he wants to make that your thing and see what he says. When this fall rolls around, we will have a need for Sunday school teachers. Is that a way you might be able to sacrificially serve the church? And since it's Father's Day... Let me just say, dads, dads, if you're, if you're the dad of a school-aged child and you teach Sunday school, thank you. Thank you for serving. If you're a dad of a school-aged child and you don't teach Sunday school, why not? Maybe that's a way you could sacrificially serve the church. One more need I'll mention. Our church is in need of people who will faithfully, sacrificially pray for the church. I can think of no more important way to serve God's people than by praying for them. That's a way we can all serve. Okay, I could keep going. You get the idea, though. But my first question is not what do I feel like doing? My first question is not what am I good at? My first question is what needs to be done and how can I serve? Whenever there's a need in this church, there should be a long waiting list of people who are eager to offer humble, sacrificial, Christ-like service. That is what we see modeled in this passage. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul. He was a fallen and broken and sinful man, a regular man, a common man, uh, and yet you took him. You had a purpose for him. And you used him for your purposes. Thank you for Timothy. We know not a lot, but a little bit about Timothy. We see Paul refer to him as as too young. Uh, We see Paul refer to him as uh, timid. There's reference in 2 Timothy about him having some physical ailments, some physical problems. And yet we see here in Philippians that he was a man who was marked by a, a love for and a desire to serve others. In fact, Paul says, I have no one like him, no one who is so genuinely concerned for the needs of others. And we thank you for Epaphroditus, the faithful servant, the messenger who brought, who brought the, the gifts to Paul to care for his needs and who brought the letter of Philippians back to the church to be read out to them, who made that journey at great cost to himself and in great danger, but trusting and believing by faith that you were with him and knowing that it's an honor to serve your purposes and to serve your kingdom. I pray for us here that we would be like that, that we would be marked by that Christ-like, humble desire to serve others, to do what needs doing, to do it joyfully, to serve sacrificially, to serve in a way that looks out for the interests of others. I know that that happens here. I know that that honors you and brings glory to your name. And I just pray that we would continue to grow in that and that that would spread throughout our whole church body. In Christ's name, amen.